Hi, this is Walter Montero, and you're listening to this week's edition of the Real Estate and Mortgage Show. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to uh, this week's edition of the Real Estate Mortgage Show. This is episode 45, continuation from uh, last week's episode with regards to conditional offers. We spoke a little bit about uh, whether an offer can be bumped or uh, whether it can't and why you should and why you shouldn't and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, I hope you got a lot out of that, uh, out of last week's show. And uh, we're just going to carry on because I was, I was hoping to cover everything I could in last week's show, but it seemed that all of a sudden my message became very, very long-winded. I didn't want to roll it all into one show. I I like to try and keep shows, uh, you know, somewhere around the 10 to 15 minute mark at the very, very most. That way you can take advantage of listening to it uh, while you're in the car or maybe, you know, taking the dog out for a walk or, you know, that sort of thing. Anyway, so let's carry on with conditional offers. Let's carry on with offers because this time it's not so much the conditional part, but we're going to talk about offers a little more. So the next thing I want to talk to you about is the irrevocable time that is stated in an offer. Okay, so just so you're clear on that, the irrevocability of an offer basically addresses how long the buyer gives the seller to accept the offer as it's written. Okay, now of course you could have an offer from a seller to the buyer, but that's not the that's not the point of this conversation here. So the irrevocable time as I said, is the amount of time that is given to the seller by the buyer in order for him to consider accepting his agreement. Okay, so the irrevocable time, just so you know, it it is really only relevant if the offer is acceptable as it's been written. So if the offer is written full price, there's no conditions in it, the closing date is exactly what you want, and you're given until, say, midnight tonight to accept it, then you know that offer is only binding by both parties if the seller accepts it before midnight if the seller accepts it after midnight then the offer is no longer binding to the buyer because he only gave you or she only gave you until midnight to accept it there was a time limit on it for various reasons there could be you know maybe he was considering moving on to something else hey folks it's walter montero just a quick interruption to this week's show We all know that real estate is a great investment, but wouldn't it be nice to harness the power of that great investment with your RSP? Well, you can. Your RSP portfolio is not just for stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. You can use your RSP to invest in private mortgages. Private mortgages are secured against real property. In our current market, they can yield as high as 14 to 16% return. How does that stand up to what your current RSP portfolio is doing now? To learn more about RSP Mortgage Investing, go to rrspmortgageinvestor.com. That's rrspmortgageinvestor.com. Let me show you how you can turn your RSP portfolio into a money magnet. That's rrspmortgageinvestor.com. Now back to the show. You know, that sort of thing. But the irrevocable time, as I said, is only relevant if the offer is acceptable as it's written. A little bit of a pet peeve that I have in the real estate business is that when an agent calls me with an offer on one of my listings and says, hey, I've got an offer for you, it's irrevocable till midnight tonight. And uh, so right away they assume that, oh, okay, well, he has to present that offer before midnight tonight. And that 
First of all, getting from the rules perspective, it's my job and my obligation to convey offers to the seller as soon as I receive them. Okay, so I, I can't withhold offers from my seller. I've got to let them know about them. But in terms of the irrevocability, sometimes agents will say, hey, you know, we need an answer. We only gave you till midnight tonight. Well, unless the answer is yes, the irrevocable time is irrelevant. Okay, because if I'm going to be making any changes to that offer, what I've done is I've nullified the offer and now I'm going to turn around and give the buyer an irrevocable time on my counter offer, which again will have a time limit and then the buyer will have a certain window of time to accept that offer within the given period of time or it is no longer binding by the seller. Okay, so again, irrevocable periods are only relevant if the offer is acceptable as it's written. If it's not acceptable as it's written, it's not a big deal, okay? So, you know, it's not a race in terms of, you know, oh my God, this, this, this offer is gonna blow up if we don't deal within a certain period of time. That's not the case at all. It just means the relevance or the binding portion of the agreement is only applicable if the offer is, is acceptable as it's written, okay? So I hope that clears that up on irrevocable times. Deposits. Let's talk about that for a bit. Basically, the uh, deposits are basically the good faith that is presented to the seller from the buyer in terms of uh, the consideration for the agreement. So uh, the deposit is very clearly stated as as to how much it is and, and what happens to it. So deposits, it's funny because if deposits in our area can be anywhere from, say, $1,000 right up to $50,000. The norm seems to be somewhere between five dollars and $10,000. That's in our little Cambridge KW market. If you go into the greater Toronto area, their deposits almost seem to be on par with what the real estate commission is, which, you know, again, commissions are not fixed, but if you're looking around 5%, then it's 5% of the purchase price is the actual deposit. So the deposits are significantly more money, okay? So I guess the questions that come up in terms of deposits is number one, when are they due? And, uh, and number two, what happens to them after they've been received, okay? So basically, a deposit is going to be due as it is stated in the agreement of purchase and sale. So if the agreement of purchase and sale says that the deposit is herewith, then of course the offer comes accompanied with a deposit. If it says upon acceptance, then the deposit is only due upon the acceptance of the agreement. Okay, now here's where the big question comes in, is if I accept an offer with the deposit being stated that it will be given to the seller's agent upon acceptance, what's the time limit in terms of getting that deposit over to the, to the real estate office? And my understanding is that deposits are due within 24 hours of acceptance of the agreement. Okay, now is the agreement non-binding if the deposit is not conveyed over to the agent? I guess the answer to that is yes and no. The buyer does have 24 hours to get the deposit over to the next party, but if he doesn't give the deposit over, what they've done is they've actually opened up the ability for the seller to accept another offer and actually squeeze you right out of the situation. So really, in a sense, what you're doing is you're really endangering 
you know the deal because it is no longer binding if the seller doesn't receive the deposit on time okay now if they do get the deposit on time or do it even get it after and there was no challenge then obviously it um, it's still a binding agreement but those are the risks that a buyer takes if they don't hand over the deposit within 24 hours of acceptance of the agreement so it's it's very very important as to you know making sure the logistics of that is taken care of properly the other thing is is deposits are typically held within the listing agent's trust account okay so the listing agent's trust account they have a trust account for deposits that's where the deposit money is held and that would be dependent on the outcome of the agreement if the agreement is conditional and it doesn't end up coming together from a traditional perspective deposits are returned back to the purchaser in full and uh, without interest or deduction okay if the agreement becomes firm and binding then obviously it becomes part of the purchase price and it's credited towards the purchase price so whatever you agree to agree to, to pay for that property you would pay that amount less the deposit that you already conveyed okay now with regards to deposits going back to the buyer if a deal falls apart one thing you've got to be clear on is most deposits that we handle are written in the form of a personal check so when the buyer gives the check over to the agent and says here's my deposit for ten thousand dollars and by chance the deal falls apart of course the buyer is going to want his, his deposit back now one thing that you have to keep in mind here is that listing agents are not going to be quick to give you that deposit back until that check clears okay so if you've made a conditional offer for five days upon financing and inspection and uh, it so happens that your deal doesn't end up coming together and you want your deposit back you are going to get it back you just may not get it back as quick as you might like it because checks typically take 10 days to clear and if the condition was only five days long then you know when the deal falls apart the listing agent doesn't even know that the check is cleared or not so the last thing he wants to do is give you give your buyer back you know say ten thousand dollars and then find out that the check didn't clear to begin with now they're chasing the buyer for money so uh, something to keep in mind in terms of uh, of the logistics of getting the deposit back in the event that the deal falls apart okay now in order to prevent all that if you do want to prevent that you can hand over the deposit in a couple of different ways you can either do it by bank draft or you can do it by money order we used to be able to do it by cash and, and we still can by all means but you know as soon as you break that ten thousand dollar mark then it becomes a whole other kettle of fish there's a whole bunch of paperwork attached to you know uh, real estate agents handling that kind of cash and uh, you know with money laundering rules and all that kind of stuff so you're best off dealing with a check a money order or a bank draft okay that is the best way to handle uh, deposits now the the one other question that comes up with regards to deposits is what happens to the deposit after the deal becomes firm so in other words unconditional and yet the deal doesn't close so for some reason or another the buyer has been unable to close a transaction well that money is not released and that's typically stays in the trust account pending the outcome of any kind of agreement or litigation in terms of how that deposit has to be redistributed after the deal happens to collapse okay so anyway so that's that's a little bit on deposits the last part I want to talk about in terms of an offer is HST 
Now one thing that you'll notice on an agreement of purchase and sale is on the HST clause it's, it typically says that HST is included in or not included in. Okay, those are the two fields that are the options that an agent has in order to populate the, uh, the particular field. And uh, uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, HST is not applicable on resale homes. Why does it say included or not included? Not included. Why doesn't it say not applicable? Well, the reason it says included or not included is and not applicable is because we never really know whether HST is included or is applicable or not. So that's why we say included or not included. And the reason we do that is because let's say somebody owns a home and um, you know of course it's their residential property but one thing that they do is they have you know um, a home business and they write off a portion of the house and a portion of the mortgage and a portion of the taxes and all the expenses towards this business. Well, if this house is being used for business purposes, then a portion of the transaction by technical standards is HST applicable. Okay, And the last thing you want as a buyer is if you put in that the HST is not applicable, well, it is applicable. Now who's going to pay it? It becomes a whole kettle of fish. That's why you always want to put in as a buyer that the HST is included in and, uh, and as opposed to not included because you never know how that seller has, has uh, set up their taxes uh, in terms of how they file. I'll tell you, a few years ago, we sold a fourplex for a friend of ours and um, they never did anything with the property. What they did was they bought the property and um, you know they they lived in it but they never rented out any of the other three units. He just kind of tinkered around with it, fixed it up and then a few years later he decided to sell it. It was a cash on cash investment. He wasn't really looking to make a whole lot of money. He was looking more for a project more than anything else. Well at the end of the day we sold this property for him and of course this is a residential resale property which we felt HST was was not applicable on. Well, anyway, what ended up happening is the person that bought the property, of course, wrote up the offer with HST being included in. And all of a sudden, a few months later, I should say probably about a year later, the seller contacted us and said, hey, we got a big problem. I just got a bill for HST on that property. And, um, you know, I'm really upset about it. Well, one thing that we knew was, well, that's impossible. HST is not applicable on residential resale property. What the seller didn't tell us was that he had a very creative accountant. And uh, one of the things that he did in order to try and curtail any excess taxes was he had the seller register the property as a bed and breakfast. Apparently there was some sort of tax benefit to having the property registered as a bed and breakfast. Even though he never did any business with it, because he filed taxes that way, it ended up that the property ended up being subject to HST. So as I said, with the HST, you never know what what kind of lurks in the background there, so be very careful about writing that clause. Of course, with commercial properties, it's always uh, it's always applicable, and uh, so you know obviously it's going to be not included in. And if it is included, then of course the seller is going to have to take the shortfall.
okay I hope that helps a little bit in uh, in terms of agreements Again, we're going on a little over 15 minutes here show was a little longer than usual and uh, but I wanted to cover this all off just so we didn't drag this out any longer than we had to anyway I hope you have a great week if you have any real estate questions by all means uh, you know where to reach us have yourself a great week Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of the Real Estate Mortgage Show. If you have any real estate questions, please direct them to me at 519-624-9222 or walter at maximumresults.ca or you can find me online at www.cambridgehouses.com. If your interests are in mortgages, please feel free to call 519-624-9222 or email karen at karen at maximumresults.ca or you can find her online at www.m as in Mary, R as in Roger, financial.ca. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a great week.